right, uh, another episode of Confessions of a Street Broker. And today I got probably one of the most, a guy that probably has the most dog in him out of anybody out there right now. So very special guest today, the one, the only Chase Miller. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Chase is the uh, is a principal at um, NAI Robert Lynn. You're probably the fastest guy to ever make principal in NAI Robert Lynn. Is it? I think I am. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's awesome having you here. Um, you know, it's it, you know, you kind of you kind of stepped into the Brook Hollow market as I was kind of stepping out over into the principal side of things. So you know, timing in life is always a great thing, but don't discount that you might be the hardest working broker in commercial real that. estate. I appreciate um, it. So that's always, you know, always appreciated, you know, from, from my side of the table. I, I like to see that. And, um, you know, I, I know you're a guy that I can call at 7 a.m. and talk about real estate because I'm addicted to real estate. And so I, or I can call you at 7 p.m. So, but uh, why don't you just kind of give us a little of your background? You grew up here in Dallas, right? I did. Grew up here. Where'd you go to high school? Went to high school, Shelton, smaller private okay. school, and then J.J. Pierce for a year. Okay. Um, grew up in kind of the whole Pierce, you know, so mm-hmm. Park Hill Junior High, Brentfield, which were the public schools that feed into Pierce. Went to Shelton freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, back to Pierce because I missed my buddies, and then back to Shelton yeah. junior, senior year, which was best one of the best decisions of my life. And then after that, what a lot of people don't know out of high school, I knew I wanted to play college basketball and I knew I wanted to play at, mm-hmm. you know, the highest level I could and that'd uh-huh. be in division one. Yeah. Really didn't have any great opportunities. So went to prep school for okay. a year. All right. 13th grade. Yeah. That's yeah. really what it was. And it, I'll tell you, I grew up in those six months more than I probably my whole life put together. Yeah. It was, and I know Jeff's kids have gone to IMG and yeah. This was a rough version of IMG in a lot of ways. Yeah. It was great because I was with so much talent. It was in Delray Beach, Florida. Yeah. It was, you know, but with that, I was one of 55 guys. And I, as far as the talent goes, I was probably 50th. Yeah. So I had to work my butt off to keep up with guys that were highly recruited, highly touted, and lived in, uh, perfect way to put it we lived in not great apartments yeah i had seven or eight roommates two bedrooms and one bathroom oh wow so to go from (laughs) you know yeah nice part of dallas to that to that at 18 years old that'll make you grow up real quick yeah you know so the um the post-grad years is kind of an interesting theory i think you're going to see more of that going forward just because the transfer portal kind of kills a lot of kids really, you know, it limits, it's limiting scholarships for seniors, right? Because oh, they're yeah. just, you know, everybody's moving around. But, you know, I, I, I know at IMG, they would have guys getting recruited by somebody. And they'd be like, hey, look, we don't have a spot for a linebacker this year, but right. we do in, you know, 24. So will you do a post-grad year and we'll give you a scholarship for that right. year? And so that's where it can kind of work in, in someone's favor too. So, no, no, it's a, it's, you know, I had a, I had an appointment to West. Well, I was going to go to West Point, but I, I was on the cusp of making grades. So they were going to send me to prep school for a year. So that was pretty much like post-grad. Yeah. So, but, uh, but no, so you're in Delray Beach, Florida. Yep. Living with a sea of dudes. Yep. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened? What happened? So out of, out of Elevate, it was called Elevate which is no longer around, but had some good dudes there. I had three offers, or really it came down to two. Mm -hmm. One of the original three was Texas Tech. I walked on there when Tubby was there. Yeah. The other two were Drexel up Uh in Philadelphia in the Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Toward Drexel, Middle Tennessee, and fell in love with Middle Tennessee. And, you know. What city is Middle Tennessee? Murfreesboro. Where is that? It's about 30 minutes outside of Nashville. Okay. All right. So, so you go to Middle Tennessee State. How's that? Did you enjoy it? It was another wake-up call freshman year, believe it or not, because even high school to prep school is a massive step, but prep to Division I basketball is 
just as big a step, if not bigger. Yeah. So with any freshman, there's growing pains. Yeah. Um, but man, I, you know, you kind of, and you know this being a college athlete, you kind of morph into yourself a little bit and you learn a lot about yourself your freshman year and after that. Yeah. You're rolling, but yeah, loved it. Best best decision I've made in my life was going to Middle Tennessee. And then y'all got to, you actually got to play in the tournament a couple of years, huh? My freshman year, yeah. we uh, our claim to fame, if you will. We yeah. beat Michigan State. Yeah. And then sophomore year in the in the tournament as a 15 seed at the time was probably the biggest upset yeah. ever. And then UMBC won up us against yeah. Virginia the year after. But the year after we played uh, played Minnesota in the first round, beat them, mm-hmm. and then lost to Butler in the second round. Yeah, but what an experience! Will, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you majored in finance with the real estate emphasis? I did. Yep. So you kind of knew, I mean, you were kind of bred into this. You kind of knew, you, you know, yeah. with your dad being the Mark Miller, yeah. you know. But. I wouldn't, you know, it's funny. A lot of people guess and assume that. Yeah. While I think a lot of that's true, there was a big part of me that was ready to get into college basketball coaching. Oh, yeah. And so ready that I accepted a job. Yeah. With Penny Hardaway at Memphis. Oh, wow. After I told George Dutter and my dad, I'm coming to Robert Lynn. Yeah. So that was a fun fiasco to work through. But ultimately, just it didn't, my heart wasn't in it enough. And as you know, in you, college sports, you better love it and you better be prepared to grind for 10 years before it, yeah. anything comes to fruition. I, it, it, uh, man, coaching is, uh, Coaching is something that, like, you, you always think you want to do, but, like, you really have to want to do it. Especially, like, high school coaches, man. Like, golly. Like, I mean, you got to just love it. And because uh, you don't make any money no. ever. No. And I, I help out clients, kids on the side, which is fun. And it's a way yeah. to keep basketball in my life. But, I mean, I've got some of my best pals with college coaches now. And yeah. you talk to them and they are working crazy hours i mean they love it don't mm-hmm. get me wrong but they're moving i have a buddy that moved from mississippi to florida yeah in a 30-day span well he had no idea he was getting fired yeah you know so you got to pick up your family your whole life and you know um, i always say if you could tell me i could be the head coach at smu yeah for 30 years and i know that yeah sign me up yeah yeah i'll do it for sure you know you know jeff you know moved to graham and his real intent was to become the head high school football coach at Graham. Yeah. But I think he just kind of, just kind of, you know, thought about the real commitment of it and uh, was just like, man, I don't, I, you know, I don't know why I would stop doing real estate. To oh, do for this. sure. You know what I mean? You know, it's fun though. Like, you know, I got to coach my son's football team from kindergarten through sixth grade. And that was, that was, that was fun. That was, you know, it's funny though. During that whole time frame, I did not watch football. I couldn't watch football. I was so maniacally just involved in that. Like, right. by the time that game was over on Saturday, my my brain was just like, I don't, I don't, even you want, don't want football. I don't want, I don't want nope. any football right now. Like, uh, so it was nice that after that, now I enjoy watching it again. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like you know, people would always say, "Well, do you still play basketball after you graduate?" Yeah. No, you can't yeah. pay me enough. Really? No. You don't go. No, hit, we, hit. Did a, we did a we did a Robert Lynn team yeah. at the JCC, which yeah, I had some dogs. Did they? Not our t- uh, our yeah. team was fine, but we yeah. played some dogs. Yeah, we had five former Division One athletes on our team. Yeah, and we got our tails smoked. Really? Yep. I think we're like <laughs> two and ten, so that was humbling. And after that, I'm I'm good on the basketball front. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it uh, my my only resurrection of football is we had a um, uh, a flag football team. I don't know if you ever heard about this. It was mm-hmm. called the uh, Los Tigres de Irving, and uh, it was we it was me, Boozer, Todd, Hubbard, Jeff. I'm trying to think if there's any other commercial real estate guys. Jimmy from Lancaster yep, Roofing yep, was yep, on yep. there. And then just a bunch of other Irving dudes we all grew up with. <laughs> we, this was probably 10 or 12 years ago. And we won like the Flower Mound Flag Football right. Championship. We're like, yeah, we're badass. And, uh, you know, 
and uh, we we go to play in this Louisville league, and there's a bunch of younger kids, and it was like, oh man, this yeah. is this Tumbling. is this is getting different. This is probably time to to. <laughs> To officially <laughs> finally hang these cleats up, so right. it was. But it was, it was a good time. It was fun. So, but uh, well, so let's uh, let's kind of just get into the real estate side of things. Like, so you get out of Middle Tennessee State. You, uh, you know, I'm assuming you probably went and looked at a couple other places mm-hmm. too. Where else did you interview at? Everywhere, really. I really did. JLL um, Collier's Cushman. Yeah. Um, Henry S. I talked to Jeff, I think. Yeah. Um, trying to remember. And, and then some spots in Nashville as well. Yeah. Just not knowing, you know, being young and still figuring things out. Wanted to talk to any and everybody. Yeah. And for me, it was, and it still is, right? It's, you know, my dad is the Mark Miller. He is awesome. I love him to death. Mm-hmm. He is the ultimate nice guy in this business oh yeah but i didn't want to be his son yeah it was big for me to go and create my own identity and who i am yeah that was really important and so i mean i i I would tell you this i'm open about it i I would tell you when the interview kind of processes started i don't know if robert lynn was necessarily at the top of my list really no, and it was it. That's all it was. Yeah, it was just you not to be in that, that shadow. Or, that, yeah. That's it. And would the end goal have probably been to end up there? Probably. Yeah. You know, but again, it's back to you want to you want to create your own path in this business. Yeah. Well, you've obviously done that. I appreciate so it. You you don't have to. You know. You know. It's it's uh, you know, it's funny. One thing I always learned from Mark, and you know, I watched Mark and Jeff kind of grow up because I was you know, they started buying these buildings and I was managing them for them. And, you know, Jeff is very intense, you know, and, um, and, uh, I wouldn't say he's like, a hot, he's not a hothead or anything. He's just very intense, you sure. know? And, um, and Mark is just always just, just calm, Even you know, just cool. And, you know, that was one thing I always remembered watching Mark when I started applying to brokerage. I was like, you know, cooler heads prevail. Cooler heads always prevail. And Mark was just, he never got, he never gets upset. It's unbelievable. I, I, I've never seen, you know, I mean, so, I'm, someone could just totally shove a knife in his back and he'd be like, well, thank you. I guess I'll take this out. Right. You know? <laughs> I was. And I don't remember who it was. It was an NAI broker outside of Dallas that I, I'd referred something to. And he goes, were well, you similar to your dad? And I was like, maybe in some ways, I wish I wasn't more. Yeah. He goes, man, I've just never seen somebody deliver bad news as good as he does. Yeah. He could deliver bad news and you think it's not good news, but you're walking away feeling okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's to his tenants. That's to his employees. That's to, you know. Yeah. No, I, it. Uh, you know, I didn't really get into the commercial real estate world at Robert Lynn, but I was just kind of always around there because right. Jeff was there. And then, you know, you know, I kind of had that portfolio of properties that eventually, you know, I, I was done with. And John Lancaster came in and kind of started y'all's property management division with it. But I was always getting to hang around Mark. You know, I, I'd be up there on Saturdays with Jeff or something. You know, Mark's up there every Saturday. Oh, yeah. Still is. away, you know, doing his thing. But, uh, you know, and, uh, it just, it was always, it was cool to, to be around him just that little amount of time because I, he's one guy that I really admired and I really applied just, that was a big thing I always applied. I never got mad at anything and, and it, it works. It, mm-hmm. it works very well for me. So that was something I really learned from your dad and really appreciated for sure. just being around him. So, so this is about what, 2020 you get in the business? Probably late. Late. I bet it was mid nineteen, late nineteen. Okay. So probably six months before COVID. Yep. Which you're probably thinking, I just got in at the worst time and it turned out to be the best time. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think it was a little of that. Yeah. Um I'll tell you what it did do was and and you know this about Robert Lynn, we were in person, in mm-hmm. person, in person. Yeah. Which when you were a young broker. Yeah. You know, a street broker. Yeah. You better be doing that. Yeah. 
it taught me how to use the phones. Yeah. COVID did. Yeah. And, you know, I'll remember, or I, I always think about, I had a roommate who's in investment banking. He's up in New York now at the time. And mm-hmm. he would, you know, cause I'm smiling and dialing all day yeah. in my apartment because yeah. there was nothing else to do. Right. And he just looked at me. He's like, God, do you do anything else besides call people? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize, but that's not, and I don't think that's how a lot of brokers really went about their day or business was just calling, 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 calling. Yeah. And so, you know, you say, was it the best, worst time to get in? To me, that's what was the best part about COVID was it taught me how to find business over the phone and not just in person. You know, I will say, I think that was kind of one of always my weaknesses. I felt like, I felt like if I couldn't walk into your front door, like I just, it's probably not going to be a lead for me, right. you know? So that's, that's, it's pretty interesting perspective on that because I, you know, I, I, God, I'd make 10 phone calls during COVID and I was just like, what do you see in the market? Oh, I'm saying, you know, you have the same speech just <laughs> right. over and over and over. You do it, you know, 10 times. You're like, God, I'm fucking done with this. Right. You, know? Well, you know, during COVID, especially, I guess it was probably March and April, I think were the really rough months when people yeah. were hunkered down and I wouldn't, I would leave my apartment to get my groceries that were Uber Eats to me yeah. before I'd go on a run. Yeah. I mean, that was it. Right. And I would be cold calling people and I noticed all I would start asking people was, how can I help you? What can I help you with? Yeah. Which is a lot of what we're doing, but that's all I had to talk about. Right. And so developing relationships when I didn't know left from right in real estate was hard over the phone, harder over the phone than it would have been in person. Yeah. No, that's a, um, you know, I feel like there's, there's, uh, there's kind of like two styles of brokerage. You have your Marcus and Millichap. Those guys make all these phone yep. calls all day long. Yep. I mean, the, you know, I had a guy, I had a, he's at another investment firm like that. He was in here that he goes, yeah, I make 600 phone calls a week. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. I've never been one of those shots. That's not us. I, well, like, is that even doable? Is that doable if you're. I mean, like, God, you got to have a fucking database just ready to roll. Which they do there, but yeah. how are you developing relationships? How you're are not. you? You're having a 30-second phone call, which is, that can be great and efficient, I guess, but. Well, you know what it is. I hear, here's what it is, right? Like, you've probably walked into someone that was somebody else's client, right? But you showed up on real estate day. Yep. And when you show up oh, yeah. on real estate day, you're the guy that's there. And yep. uh, and that's another thing. This is a, a famous Jeff Mercer quote. We don't have clients in real estate. We only have people we've done business with yep. because that changes constantly. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it. Uh, I don't know. I'd never. So the fact that you mastered the phone and that is probably what makes you pretty deadly today. I appreciate it. You know, it's uh, you can't. Because like the Marcus guys and all that stuff, I mean, they wouldn't, they would be very out of their element having to go door to door to sure. door to door, right? You know, it's just, you but know, they're used to dialing. The door to door stuff, you find out information mm-hmm. by going door to door that you can then use on the phone. Right. So what, you know, so we both grew up doing, you know, sub-market specialization. Sure. I always kind of look at that as like, hey, I've got a puzzle I'm putting yep. together. I'm playing poker right here. I'm playing chess right here. I'm playing checkers right here. And so the point of going door to door to door is that you can tell that guy. So what I noticed, and I'm sure this is what has happened with you now, when you develop that intimate knowledge of a submarket like that, I almost feel like guys will hire you and they might not even like you but they're scared that you know so much more information than the other guy. When you can walk into a cold call and they'll be like, yeah, you know about this? I'll go, well, yeah, I sold it to him and then right. I sold him this. Then I did this. Do you know about this? You know about that? And then they're just like, damn, if I don't hire this guy, I'm, I'm probably going to screw up. Right. You know? And um, and the guys that we called on in Brook Hollow, those are the, most of their net worth is wrapped up in that building most likely. Yep. Their businesses probably aren't worth much. And but that building has generated a lot of lot of wealth for that person. So 
it's uh you know to to your point being able to use that knowledge on the phone too is huge so mastering those two is probably a a big thing of what's made your success. But, but on top of that, I mean, you're, you're kind of relentless, man. Like, you know, I, I, um, you know, I hear your name a lot from people that are like, you know, Chase Miller's just calling me and calling me and calling me, you know, they never say it as though like Chase Miller's calling me and God, I can't stand that guy. It's just like, he calls me all the time. So that means you're not, you're, you're at least calling all the time, but you're providing some value. Right. To your point, you know, knowing these things. In the There's market. a balance you find. Yeah. You got to be, you got to be persistent so that you're top of mind. Yep. But you also don't want to annoy them. Right. I mean, they don't want to be, maybe sometimes they want to be talking to you, but they're running a business. They have right. things to do. And, but if you can call them, whatever it is, let's just say once a month. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, just so you know, the building next to you is on the market for 150 a foot. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. Great. That's all I need. Hey, I sold this building around the one street over from you for this much. Hey, and is there anything I can help you with? Yeah. And 99 times out of 100, it's a no. But there is that one in 100 time that, Yeah, I need something, man. Man, you know, I know we talked last month, but this changed and. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you. So, okay. So tell me about what's your, what's your schedule? I want to hear your real estating schedule. God, I, I think that's the nice part about our business. It's never the same. And I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you my schedule when I started, yeah. kind of in the middle of my career to this point and what it is now. So when I started, Matt Elliott in our office gets in at 2 a.m., yeah. 3 a.m., whatever. No, yeah, he's. you can email Matt at 5 a.m., instant response. 100%. So. And I told myself, okay, I'm going to beat Matt in. Yeah. That's my goal. Okay. Okay. So I would do that. I would get in at 4 a.m. most days, 4.30, mm-hmm. 4.45, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I probably did that for a year, let's mm-hmm. call it. And I was working full days. I would work from, and this was really when I was in training. So it was database stuff. It was learning my market. It was getting my license. I would do that from 4.45 to 6.30 p.m. Yep. And I would go work out yep. after. So those, my, my days were real estate. That, yep. that is it. That evolved into, well, to be a to be a good business guy and I think to live a balanced life, well, you need to work out. You yeah. need to have yeah. friends. You need to do things outside of real estate. So that it evolved to still getting in at 5.30, call it. Mm-hmm. I would work from 5.30 to 7 mm-hmm. and shorts and a t-shirt. And then I'd work out from 7 to 7.45 in our office, start my day date. Yep. And I'd work till seven, let's call it. To me, that is still the best schedule. If I I was having breakfast with a young guy today and he asked me the same question, and you know, if you're getting in the business and you could tell your young self or tell yourself a few years ago what to do differently, I'd tell him that's what my schedule would be and I'd do consistently. Yeah. Today it's I'm probably getting in at five between five forty five and six thirty. I don't kill myself to get in. Yeah you know, in the fours anymore, like I did, I don't have that pressure on myself that I, you know, ultimately I was putting the pressure on myself. Yeah. And, but I do stay later. Um, I stay until seven 30 or eight, a lot of nights. Okay. What about Um, weekends? Weekends. I am depending. Sometimes I'll work Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. I, I typically, especially during college football season, take all Saturday off. Yeah. Decompress, relax. And then Sundays get after it, though, yeah. for six to 10 hours. Yeah. And that's, and as you know, weekends as a broker, you're organizing who you're going to call. Yep. You're going over your call notes. For me, Sundays are a lot of getting lists out to clients that mm-hmm. maybe you, you didn't. You yeah. cold called them on a Thursday and they, or you talked to them on a Thursday and they need, you know, 20 to 40,000 feet. We didn't get it out. You need yeah. to get that out Sunday. And the way I look at weekends is if you could, whatever you can set aside and get done over the weekends mm-hmm. gives you that much more time to go cold call and find business during the week. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's probably very, you know, I, I noticed, you know, I always took Sundays off and I worked Saturday six to probably six to seven hours on Saturday. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, I would 
that's the one thing like i you know i've been in action group meetings at mercer company <laughs> yep. and i'm like I'm like man you consistently i'll look at a young guy and be like you consistently organ two hours a week two hours that's our minimum right yeah and you just you're at two hours all the time and and you know they don't like hearing this but i go well that tells me two things one you're not working on anything or you're just lying yeah you know <laughs> yeah i was like because when I was working on stuff, I had, I mean, I needed all those days to, like you talked about, organize my calls, organize my books that I needed to go out that week for surveys for sure. people. And um, so, yeah, it, it takes that much prep. There's that much preparation that needs to go into each week because to your point, you can only call during business hours, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I even liked calling, honestly, until about 6 p.m. on Mondays. Yep. Because the decision maker always kind of was still there at that point in time. So I'd usually wrap up my last call around 545 in, in the evening. In yeah. person, right? In person, yep. yeah. And um, and that would, uh, that was always a good time because everybody was kind of gone and, you know, the gatekeeper wasn't there right. and stuff like that. You know, what's, what's funny is even on the phone, mm -hmm. I always, I tell myself, I wrap up around 6, 630 on cold calls mm -hmm. on all weeknights, except Friday, maybe it's 530. Yeah. It's funny, the guys that are really tough to get in touch with, mm -hmm. they answer later. They answer yeah. early and they answer later. Right. Because they're not as busy. And and that's also part of Oregon. Well, I got to call this guy at 7. Yeah. Instead, mm -hmm. you know. But I, yeah. Well, so so that's the, just so anybody listening to this, that's the, that's a very... That's a very typical schedule of an extremely high producer. You know, I was on I was on Twitter and this guy, some CBRE broker out of Orlando, put up this tweet. He goes, I can beat anybody by working only nine to five. And I was like, bro, you've been doing this 20 years. I can beat most people too working nine sure. to five because I've been doing it 20 years. Sure. But don't put that message out there to young brokers that can read that and think that that's attainable. Yeah. You know, that's a very mediocre brokerage career, in my opinion. It might lead you to working on the other side of the table, as we were discussing. Prior no, to for that. sure, for <laughs> yeah. sure. And I was telling the the kid I was getting breakfast with this morning. He goes, "Well, how do you look at it? Is it volume? Is it? It is. As yeah. a young broker, it sure as heck is. Yeah. You're the more people you talk. Well, but the more people you talk to, yeah. the luckier you get. Yeah. You know, because like like you're saying, Jeff said. You know, a lot of these guys, you catch them on the right. Yeah, sure, they're clients, but you've done business with them before. That doesn't mean there's other young brokers hustling to go get them. All right. Well, and you got you to gotta make sure, you know, the more people you're talking to, mm -hmm. hypothetically, it should be the more deals you're doing, too. Right. Yeah. It's just math at the yeah. end of the day. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, it's like, um, you know, here's a perfect example you know this is something you and i kind of experienced a couple of weeks or months ago is you know and uh it's funny isabella works on some tenant rep stuff with me and yep. you know we go in and meet with a guy who's been my client for 10 years you know moved him into his building expanded him in his building did every single renewal then he tells me jeremy it's time i really want to buy a building yep. and really at the end of the day he didn't have the money and um Ask me if I could help him buy it with him. I'm like, absolutely, man. Yeah, we can find a way to do that. Or he goes, or I might have an investor to do it. Hey, man, whatever you want to do, I just want to help you. Yeah. You know, you're my, he's more, more of my, he was more of my friend, right? Well, you know, lo and behold, not a couple weeks later, you call me, you know, we're sending him options and yeah. all this stuff. A couple weeks later, you call me and go, hey, uh, just to let you know, your boy's out here cheating on you with another broker. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think, that was probably a function of he didn't he got some terms from these guys to and they're like you have to use this broker but either way he didn't stand up for me <laughs> you know what no. i mean like like and the guy they hired i was like man i run circles around this guy in my back this is in my backyard like right. this is in my sandbox right. like and um and so but that happens right and it's, i call i call him doesn't doesn't respond yeah email him won't respond chicken shit you know what I mean? Like, at least be a man and tell me right. you're hosing me. The most frustrating, and you've run into this too, and it's a little different. That, the most frustrating part about this business sometimes, you can do everything perfect. Yeah. If you don't hit someone at the right time. Yeah. 
you're not going to win the business a lot of the time. Yeah. No, sometimes just showing up on real estate, it works. And I mean, I've lost deals where I find out another broker's repping them and I'll, I'll get so mad and I'll look back at my call notes. Yeah. Call the guy 20 times in six months. What do you, yeah. there was nothing else I could have done. Right. right. You know? Yeah. So that's, that's it, real estate sometimes. That, that's how it goes. And so that's, um, you know, that's what takes the first, I think that's what weeds a lot of people out in the first two years. Yeah. It's a very emotional roller coaster. You know, you get a couple of deals in title, you think you're fixing to close them, and then boom, they all fall out. And you're yep. like, I don't know if I can handle this, you know. And um, so uh young brokers out there don't don't be counting them commissions till yep. it's till it's you get the email that says, here's your federal reference wire number because it ain't over till then. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. I've learned that the hard way. Yeah. Well, I, I think everybody does. I think everybody in the very beginning is like, man, like, you know, you go from being broke, right? You have no money and you're like, okay, oh my gosh, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this money on this deal. It's going to yeah. be the most money I've ever made in my life. You know what I mean? And then it right. doesn't, you know, so you kind of start counting on it. You kind of start thinking that I'm going to be living my life this way. But, you know, the, the best brokers I know are the guys that can stay even keeled yeah. through that yeah. and bounce back. Yeah. Well, you know, and I always I always compare brokerage to sports in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's the perfect comparison. Well, you know what? You got your butt kicked Tuesday yeah. night. Yeah. How are you going to come back to practice Wednesday? You got a game Friday. Let's go. It's the same thing on the flip side of it, too. Hey, you just won the Super Bowl. Great. You got to get up tomorrow and go make cold calls. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, you can close oh, yeah. the biggest deal. I mean, I remember you, you, you think about, you know, I, I love college football. Yeah. And so I love kind of watching these coaches and players evolve. And Nick Saban, who we all know is one of the greatest, if not the greatest right. of all time, yeah, always sticks with me every time he wins a national championship. Hey, what are you going to do tomorrow? I'll be recruiting. Yeah. Don't yeah. stop. It never ends. It doesn't stop. No. It, uh, I remember this this guy at work for a commercial company. He closed like this big deal. And he goes, man, I'm taking the rest of the day off. And I was like, man, you're missing a great opportunity to go cold call because you're on fire. You're like, man, I just closed a great deal. So that was always my thing. It's like as soon as I closed the big deal, I would just run out the door and make cold calls because I, I just I had just had like the, the energy boost. That's funny. To go do you, it, you know? um, <laughs> Tyson Irwin in our office said this to me when I started. He said, you know, you're not always going to want to go make cold calls per se. Yeah. You know, some days you're going to wake up and you're feeling great and you're going, there's others you don't. It's funny, the days you just, and for whatever reason, yeah, you feel great and you're ready to make, go make cold calls and talk to everyone. Those are your best days. Yeah. It's funny how it works. And yeah. so that's to your point. Yeah. You got to, you got to like kind of, be, you know what I did during COVID too, is I'd start like working out and then like in between sets, I'd make a cold call. And it was like the energy of just yeah. like working out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> kind of worked. I don't know. It just, but it kept me excited. Half the time I'd be like out of breath on the phone. Right. Hey, so yeah, there's a spill. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's kind of like when you're cold calling too and you're 0 for 20. Yeah. And you, what we call them TIPs. Yeah. You find a deal. Yeah. Man, you're going. You're oh, yeah. excited. You're, yeah. You know, yeah. it changes your whole day, your yeah. whole perspective. Yeah. And it changes the rest of your calls. Yeah. Well, it's that it's that hope is fading, is fading, is fading. And then you get that and you're like, yes. okay, this is why I do this. Right. Right. <laughs> Reinforces that. So, well, so so last year you had an incredible year. You were what? Number four in NAI globally. Is that? I think three and T-Hub was three four. and T-Hub was yep. four. Okay. How many guys are in NAI globally? I don't know. I think 10,000. Okay. That's a guess. I think that's right, though. 10,000. So you were number three of 10,000 across all asset classes, everything. That's incredible, man. Thanks. That's really That's really impressive. You know, it's... Uh, I remember when you and I first started talking, you'd be like, let's broker together. I'm like, dude, I ain't got the gas no more like you do. Like, I would be a horrible partner. <laughs> so, but it's been really cool seeing you do the, the kind of production that you've done because, I mean, I, I never did that kind of numbers, but, you know, but, uh, you know, you had, you had bigger prices. So, it's yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's all convoluted. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, what's the, what's the diciest situation you've been in? in a brokerage like turn a building or or whatever hmm that's a tough one yeah 
a lot of them in Brook, I mean, in our market, you know, you're yeah. dealing with, you know, just not maybe what's the right word. You're dealing with people that aren't in real estate as much. Yeah. I mean, I've run into not dicey, but awkward where you are running around with a, let's just say a tenant or a buyer and mm-hmm. you've shown them a hundred options Yeah, and they show up to tour unannounced Yeah, while talking to you with two other brokers. Yeah. <laughs> is that the diciest? I mean, that's top of mind, but is yeah. that the diciest? I don't know, but it's stuff like that. That's, yeah. I'm trying to think truly diciest. I feel like I've always kind of whittled my way out of stuff that yeah. really could have gotten bad. <laughs> Nothing that comes to mind, but I would say feels like once a quarter in our submarket that happens, though, oh, where yeah. you're talking to XYZ, you know, whoever, and they show up after you think you've developed this great relationship with them and you've given them a Christmas gift and you've sent them 19 Mavs calendars, they're showing up with another broker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. uh, Thank you, Chase. Just give me all of your information and I'll give it to some other guy that has no relevance. I I really try to, I'm not one of those brokers that's going to say, Hey, I I need an exclusive tenant rep letter or I need, I'm going to try to win you over by working hard and showing you info that hopefully others aren't aren't going to have, which I yeah. think is a street broker. That is the value you add. Yeah. But when they go and take <clears throat> that info to another person that might not know the market as well as when it gets a, you know, yeah. I mean, a dicey situation I have been in is I have to call the other broker and say, hey, man, if they want to offer on that, they're paying your fee. Yeah. You know, you know <laughs> so I was, um, do you know the uh, gypsum plant? Mm-hmm. So I was working with. They were like, "Hey, we need another location. We need another building." You're saying like, USG? Yeah. Oh, I was. I have a story too. And so, anyways, I was like, "Hey, uh, how long ago is this?" Oh, this was five or six years. Okay. Ago. Well, I got one from last year. Yeah, they were out in the market last year because they were looking at four fifteen. Yeah. But, anyways, cold. Call this guy forever. And I will say U.S. Gibson actually kind of did right on this if it was going to happen. Yep. But they um, we were working on it, working on it. And then the opportunity for Prologis is building next door. That tenant was in default. And I knew it. And, um, and I went to him and said, hey, you can go right next. We can take the fence down. And you go right next door. So we tour it. And we get a proposal on it. And then it kind of starts going up the chain. And let me guess, JLL calls me, Oh, you know, and, uh, it was, it was Jones, it was Craig, Craig calls me, he goes, Hey, um, so I just want to let you know, we got a national exclusive with them. And I was like, fuck, bullshit, man. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, uh, I go, yeah, well, I don't think you're owed anything on this. And he goes, well, we've been working really hard. And I go, so hard that you couldn't even find the building next door. I love Craig, but this, 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 that was my That's thought. what we run into. That's the shops we're at, though. That's oh, yeah. part of it. Yeah, if, you don't have, if you're not an alphabet shop is what I've term I've heard him call yeah. the, the CBRE. And there's nothing against them. It's no. just a different. Yeah, it's, uh, but, uh, you know, but what was cool is Gibson said, hey, if we do this deal, we're, yeah. we're going to. Make sure you get so you get a paid, little so. different, yeah. and I won't because it is live. I won't mm-hmm. say names or buildings, but very similar tenant. Wink, wink, hint, hint. Yeah, very similar building. Wink, wink, hint, hint. Yep. Same exact thing happened to me. Really, I showed it. I knew the tenant was moving out. I showed it to them the moment I found that out. Yep. And I had a building about six doors down the other way on Regal for yep. lease. Mm-hmm. And probably a week after I'd sent them that building, they're touring my building with another broker. Yeah. One of the ABC shops. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. No, there really it, isn't. Uh-huh. And I, I kind of went through in my head. Because they kept telling me, well, we have an exclusive tenant rep letter with whoever. And I kept telling myself, well, my bulldog mentality, I'm going to go win it. Yeah. I am. I'm going to win it by, like I told you, my info is going to be better than others. And it doesn't yeah. matter. And at the end of the day, it does. And so it's almost, well, how do you work smarter? Yeah. The right thing for me to have done would have been to have called ABC Shop, who I love those guys and they're great people, said, hey, man, I have the right building for your client. Yeah. Let's work together. Yeah. You know? (laughs) 
So you, you, you tried that earlier this year with someone. Did I? We won't say her name, but you tried that with someone earlier with me with a deal, and that was just a total hot mess. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't get done. No, it, that one's never getting done. <laughs> That's the other, and we could talk years on years about the amount of guys in our business, and it's more, it feels like users that, hey, yeah. I want to buy mm-hmm. 100,000 feet. Yeah. Man, you've wanted to buy 100,000 feet for 50 years. Yeah. What's going to change today? Yeah. You know, we do run into that a lot. Obviously. Oh, yeah. I know you do too. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny is at some point they actually do. Oh, yeah. You can't be mad about it because it could be like 10 years down the road and it's like, well, they finally bought a building. Right. I, like I lost and steam on this guy. And- <laughs> <laughs> but someone else walked in on real estate day right. when they actually had the money. <laughs> There's the been a few, you know who Clint, you know Clint Riley, yeah, yeah. and we're we're close. And I'll call him, and you know I'll be like, "Hey, this guy is selling his building. Are you kidding me? I called on him for 20 years, and yeah. you know yeah. real estate day. Yeah, it that's all it is. That's it's how that's how it works. So, well, what do you um, what do you what? Other than your work ethic, what's kind of your favorite hack, your favorite routine for you that works the best to like make you operate and, um, you know, or, you know, the best habit that's kind of like allowed you to win, you feel? Oh, Sundays are huge. Yeah. That's the prep. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Coming into Monday morning prepared. Yeah. I think building a team around you. Yeah. And it's. Building a team around you of people that are maybe smarter than you in a lot of ways that are different and Mm -hmm. can look at things different than you can. And we're adding to our team and we'll have another, um, we'll add another guy to our team who's going to be kind of a Swiss army knife, not much brokerage. But I told him yesterday, I said, man, I, I need you to come in and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. You know, should I be calling on bigger tenants, bigger owners, whatever it is? So I think that that would be a big part of it is surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know if it's just work ethic. And I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound cliche. You've got to work smarter too. Yeah. There's a lot of in this business, like we were talking about, a lot of people. Oh, I want to buy. I want to buy. I want to buy. Yeah. Unless it's the perfect opportunity, they're not. And so don't spend yeah. a bunch of time. Right. Messing with that. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I do. I think it's a volume game. And it's, I say this, it's, there's no secret to it. Work hard and no, it's good not, things happen. There's not. It's, um, you know, for, that's what I've kind of learned, you know, doing the Matador side of things is like, I got to build a team. Yep. You can't take down this many assets no. and just try to do it on your own. And um, I think that was probably my biggest fault in brokerage is I could never really build a team. I didn't really know how to build one then, but like, I, you know, I, I feel like I, we've kind of really developed that here and, and that's for sure. And it's, it's, it's nice to like have to like, I always felt like I had to worry about every single detail. And now I'm getting to the point where I don't have to worry about every single detail. I know yeah. it's just kind of being handled and, and right. you know, to your point, smarter people around you or people, you know, people that have experienced other things, you know, we've got people here from other shops that have, you know, seen, you know, I've never worked anywhere other than like pretty much in a family business, right. you know? And so like you know, people come with different perspectives from sure. different places. And I think that that adds a lot of value in things too. So yeah, no, it, if you can build a powerful team, it gets pretty, the, um, the compounding effect effect of, you know, I guess you call it human capital is, is, is pretty yeah, real. And it, you know, you know, looking back on my, I know it's been a short career, but the four years I've been in the business, mm-hmm. that's the most valuable thing I've, and I've learned it through hiring Anna and through getting to interview a lot of people and mm-hmm. working with Robert Blankenship and seeing how my dad's team works. Yeah. Hiring people that are smarter and better than you at a lot of stuff. Yeah. Makes you better. It makes them better. And, you know, a big team is going to do a lot more than just you or I is. Yeah. No. And that was, that was, I feel like that was kind of maybe what was always my ceiling in brokerage. I was just very lone wolf. Yep. Like I just, I just, man, I didn't, I didn't want to, I just didn't want to have anybody with me. I just wanted to do it all. And, uh, but, uh, learning that, like, it's, it's getting very interesting where I think like where this company, you know, this is, you know, we're wrapping up year three of this company or, you know, year 
yeah, year three. And look what you've done. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's only going to get exponentially better. And, uh, you know, that is the cool thing is hiring right talent and, and, uh, hiring people smarter than you. And, you know, that's like, you know, the one thing we try to do here is when we hire somebody, they have some kind of unique outside of what we're looking for, you know? So like with, with, uh, with Will, it was, you know, he knows insurance yes. inside and out. So, I mean, dude, that's, I mean, like, I can't tell you what a whip it was dealing with insurance before he was here. I'm going give Will a little shout out. Yeah. So, when he was getting onto the industrial side, I guess it was a year and a half probably. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe two years. He kept hounding me uh-huh. to get coffee or breakfast yeah. at Flying Fish. I mean, he would call me. Probably ever to ever he chase Millard me. Yeah. Yeah. And finally I was like, all right, dude. And I thought he was selling me insurance. And oh, that's yeah. why I just never Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't need to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I one day I thought, okay, we know a bunch of the same people. People love you. Yeah. You know, I'm a college football guy, you're Pat Narduzzi's nephew. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we sit down and he goes, I'm not getting, I'm not in insurance anymore. I'm getting into industrial real estate. I was like, okay, my guy. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he's definitely made that transition very well and, uh, done a great guy. He's a great deal guy. He's having an incredible year this year in a down market where we didn't buy, we probably bought half what we bought last year, but, uh, you're still maybe one of, if not the most active buyer. Yeah. Well, and, and that's uh, a lot of that testament is to him and yeah. he's, you know, we kind of implement cold calls with him, you know, Hey man, your, your, your prospect is brokers, you know, yeah. that's our, our, you know, we, we and even, it. you know, when a lot of my best friends are principals yeah, and especially when you're getting going, it doesn't just happen. No, Mm-mm. you got to call brokers. I mean, you, you might even be cold calling some on your own when you're getting going, Yep, but that's, that's real estate. Yeah. It doesn't just happen. Well, I, I think the thing about real estate is it has the word real in it. And, it, you know, I think that is part of relationships, too. Real is in relationships. And, man, real estate is really all about relationships. Yeah. You know, that was, a uh, you know, broker, like, you know, that was, that was you know, going back to your dad, like, just always being really nice to everybody. Oh, I think that worked out with, for me as a broker, um, because I had such good relationships with all the other brokers. Yep. Like I remember, you know, like Haynes Chatham, if Haynes had a listing and I had a buyer, like you're getting it done. We're getting it done. Yeah. Like I, that, that is my client's deal to lose if he wants it. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, I think what's, what's made you lethal on the principal side is you understand how to work with brokers and you appreciate brokers. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, um, I, I've I've walked a mile in those shoes, right? So. <laughs> you know, our goal when we buy a building is to, you know, we don't want we don't need you doing our due diligence for us. Like we we present ourselves as a professional shop, and we'll do the acquisition, right? You know, anything you can do, go find a tenant. Or go find another deal to buy. You right. know what I mean? And, uh, you know, your job is to find and put deals together. And that job is pretty much done at that point unless there's something in it. But, I mean, you and know, I mean. The other thing, you are one of the easiest buyers to work with, too. But I think that comes from your brokerage background a little bit. And yeah. knowing. Well, I feel like at the end of the day, there's just not a lot that I'm scared of. Yep. There's a way to work all these things. There's all these situations you can work out. You know right. what I mean? It's, um, you know, unless there's just a completely unreasonable party on the other side of the table, I, usually there's a solution, you know. On both our deals that we've done, mm-hmm. I told you the ask. Mm-hmm. You said, where's it get done at? I said, man, I'm shooting you pretty straightforward. Yeah. You said, okay, it works here. Let's go. Yeah. You'd yeah, be amazed. there yeah. are a lot of people that don't operate like that. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, the good thing with the way we're structured, I don't have to go ask for permission. It's yeah. uh, hey, I know this works. Yeah, we're buying it. I mean, we were under contract in two hours on Irby. You know, <laughs> Parkside. We walked into that. We were like, yeah, okay, yeah, this works, perfect. Yeah. Okay, yeah, this is what it's at. Okay, we'll we'll do it. That worked out great. And you- 
closed early. Closed early. Two weeks uh, early, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a, you know, we're showing you a deal just a second ago. We just put in title today. We're closing on the 29th. You know, today's the 11th or 12th. So we're closing in 15 days, essentially. Or what is that? Right? 17 days, whatever. But uh, I knew all the parameters of the deal. I'm like, oh, that, you're going to go get a clean phase one, clean phase survey one. title, survey title. What's, well, what's left? Make sure there's not a le- the, lease that hinders you and you're yeah, done. Yeah. I mean, it's a single tenant building and okay. the owner's in possession of it. I mean, it's, you know, we're, you know, give me a title commitment and the, the seller's making the loan and, you know, we got pre-committed capital, so I know we got the money. We got that all approved before we sign, ink the contract, and let's awesome. go, you know? So it's not – when you understand your asset class, it's not that difficult. Yep. You know, it's uh, – and I think maybe that comes from some market specialization. Yeah. You know, it's like I can show someone a building and, you know – I think the way you end up buying buildings from sub-market specialization is because you're like um, – here, sir, here's the, the one building. You told me to bring you a building. This is it. This is your deal. This is the best deal I've seen right, right. now. And then they and then they they then they discount you for showing you them one deal. They're like, you didn't work hard enough for this deal. Right. But then they pump fake on it. And then you're like, okay, then I'll just buy it. 100%. <laughs> and so that uh but that comes from knowing knowing your asset like that's my job is to know my asset right. class and uh you know knowing your submarket right so well i you know it's always fun working with you because it's very it's very linear there's no you know not all, and most brokers are that way but there's some brokers i deal with i mean i, I just i can't like the road is just winding so much and i'm like dude Let's, let's our job is to yeah yeah you know, it's to represent our clients in their yeah. best interest, but it, a lot of times for them it's let's get a deal done. Well, yeah, you know I think sometimes there's some guys that overbroker things, and and sometimes they overlook the fact that the best interest of your client is just to get the damn deal done. <laughs> you don't need to win on some little objection that right. it just when your client needs a building for his company. Right. Like you're so I've seen brokers die on some hills that I'm like, dude, your guy, you know, do you, why are you fighting this so hard? This just let it happen. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and um and sometimes I think I think there's there's a line of representing your client and doing the best job for him and then letting some things just happen. Yeah. You know? And and you got to know where that line is and, and uh, you know, don't let them be in jeopardy. But, like, they're grown men. Right. Or now, there's like, there's grown, these are grown people you, doing this. We, we've talked a lot about relationships. A lot yeah. of that does come to, back to relationships. If, if I'm getting a proposal and I deep down truly think it's the right thing for my client, and there's some clients you can do it with and there's some that you can't, you yeah. know, some that have bigger capital partners or whatever. Mm-hmm. But guys, let's just say in Brook Hollow that have owned their buildings forever. Yeah. And you get a lease proposal and we're 25 cents off ask and they want to go at a nickel higher. Yeah. Hey, no, we need to get this done. Yeah. It could be three months until we get another deal. Man, let, let's just go. And if you have a good enough relationship with your clients, yeah, it's a lot easier to to do that and earn their trust and you know, ultimately have their trust. Well, I think as long as, you know, especially so when you're leasing something for somebody, if it's, a, um, you know, and, and that's the challenge, right? You start dealing with these institutional investors and stuff. And I mean, I mean, let, let's be honest. Most of the time, those groups aren't really the guy calling the shot. You know what I mean? So they have a box that they can, right. They can play in. And, you know, so you just have to play in that box because, you know, for me, it's different. I'm like, well, that's my money. That's my building. That's another month of downtime. If we don't make this right. deal over five cents a foot on ten thousand, like what are we talking about right. here? Like let's well, and you let's know just this, move on. That on that side, their five or ten cents a foot gets them another dollar a foot. Yeah, when they go and sell it, yeah. and that's how they look at it. Where I know you and and other owners similar to you are looking. I don't want another five months of downtime. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, you know. Yeah, we might just hold this for a while. It's not that, you know, yeah. the, the goal the goal is to get at least right now, right? You know, I'm not, you know, it's especially in a market like right now. Yeah, it's a weird market. So let's 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 segue into that. Like, you know, I um I think uh it's funny I've told people this, you know, cuz you like to always you almost always lead with what are you seeing out there? Yeah. What are you seeing? You know what I mean? You want to know the market. I always tell people, they're like, I'm like, you know, well, Chase told me this, but Chase operates at so much more volume than everybody else that I don't know that I could really, I can really take his information on what's the market doing because he's running like at three to four X the space, the <laughs> pace of the market. So, but. You know, that's just my joke. I always sure. definitely listen to what you sure. say is going on. So what do, what are you seeing out there? Obviously, sales have flown down, right? Dramatically, I would say. Investment sales have. Investment user sales, sales have. are still fine. Banks are still lending for user Banks sales. Banks are still that, lending. That's a safe deal. Getting their deposits even on that. smaller usually, investment deals, yeah. banks are lending. Mm-hmm. Plenty of banks are lending. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, my our playground's not the hundred million dollar sexy portfolios. Sure. No. Um, I know that is tougher. Yeah. But I think up to let's just call it twenty million bucks. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's tougher when you get into the ten to twenty range. Yeah. But let's just call it one to five million. Yeah. All day long. Yeah. Still going. I'm not I'm not seeing a I'm not seeing a massive slowdown user wise on that. I yeah. am seeing on the investment side of those size deals, there's a gap between Still the gap between the buyer and the seller. There is, and I don't know. I don't know how long that takes to bridge. I, I really don't. Yeah. So I, I think we're still. I know we're still busy on the acquisition side, but mm-hmm. it's very different than previously in my career. Leasing wise, I tell you, we are touring more than we've ever toured. Yeah. We are emailing flyers and lease rates more than we've ever done. Yeah. It is a grind. To get it past those stages. So, so are the tenants just kind of telling you, hey, this rate just seems like way too much? I'm not hearing that as much as I am. They don't know what direction this thing's heading, which ultimately means they don't know what direction their business is heading, which means they don't know how much space they need, which means they don't know what their budget is. Yeah. And I think all the uncertainty, it takes them longer to make decisions. And with that, so let's say we're starting, let's just say I'm tenant wrapping in this scenario and mm-hmm. we're starting a year out. Yeah. Well, a lot of these tenants are getting to two months out on their lease and they they might have not exercised their renewal option. Well, now we're going back to their landlord and saying, hey, I think think I want to stay short term. Yeah. So we, we are, I think that's what we're seeing the most on the leasing front. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think our leasing slowed down a little bit. I mean, for the most part, we're very fortunate. Our whole portfolio is pretty much. I mean, I think we have twenty thousand, twenty five thousand feet of vacancy yep. across one point two million feet. So yep. we're we're in pretty good shape there. But the uh, but uh, but the velocity of it seems to have slowed down. Um, Here's what I would tell you, though: really good stuff, mm-hmm. really well located. Yeah, is leasing. It's still leases. it is taking longer, mm-hmm. but those lease rates are still crazy. Yeah, you know, you know, the other thing that I've kind of seen and I think of is, you know, we were talking about, you know, talking about deal sizes where acquisitions are done. I think the deal size, like I think you're, right, I think like the ten to call it twenty million range is probably very stagnant because there's still a lot that's too small for an institution to sell. And uh, that's still a range where a lot of local owner users are. So that that dislocation and pricing right. is kind of high centered in that that market. I would say the higher the twenty plus million up range, those are the what capital markets guys like to call the bite size deal, right? You know, but those are actually there. Those are those are deals that I've actually seen and get excited about because basis is good. Yep. And and it really comes down to the sophistication of the seller up there. They know the market. They understand the capital markets. That is where my job being a street broker has gotten much more difficult over the last six to nine to 12 months. I'll get a call from a great client and say, you know, who I've sold a ton to. And I'll say, or I'll call them and say, hey, you can buy this building for 130 bucks a foot. Let's just say in Brook Hollow, which standalone building probably feels okay. Right. Their rebuttal is. Yeah, I can go buy Class A stuff in North Dallas for 108 bucks a foot. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, oh, I think that's okay. coming. I think that's, uh, I think the developers will be selling some buildings off to users and uh, they're going to get to own them. That's yeah. like when we were standing in that parking lot on Regal Road oh, with yeah. that group. And they're like, I was like, well, what do y'all need? They're like, 250,000 feet. I go, then look up every 250,000 foot spec building and go make an offer on it because right. one of those will sell. But, but where it gets interesting, and again, my game is I'm, I'm selling these, or a lot of my business, I'm selling buildings to groups that then are going to throw them together and either recap mm-hmm. or sell to a bigger institution yeah, or cap, whatever it is, capital partner. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It doesn't make sense for them to be buying these buildings one off at higher significantly higher prices than right. nicer product yeah at a fraction of the cost right and so that that is the but to your point the disconnect is the seller or the seller profile is totally different yeah well i think the one thing that we saw in that market of uh brook hollow is a lot of people <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of people um bought buildings in a size range where it's really just users that want to own them and they're really not yeah. leasable buildings. So, but, uh, I think we'll, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what 24 holds. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if it'll, we'll get interest rates back or whatever, but I don't know. We'll, we're still buying. So we're still active. If the deal, it's still deal fun. Pencils, DFW is so. still an active and fun market. Well, we've got to get to a little, little happy hour we're going to little broker happy hour for all the dudes that we did deals with this year and um so we'll wrap this up but chase thanks again for being on here and uh we'll do this again because this is always fun to talk so anyways all right man thank you thank you see you